It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Thursday, October 8, 2020. On today's episode, the Code St. Luke Public Library's Stephen Tomlinson is here. Stephen is the library's TV and movie librarian, and he's going to be speaking about how librarians have been portrayed in movies. Uh, this is a, a quite interesting topic. I don't know that I've heard anybody speaking about this or writing about this. Now, you may have some movie librarians who have popped into your mind already. Uh, when I heard about this topic, for me, the, the librarian that popped into my head was the librarian in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. If you remember, uh, Indiana Jones goes to Italy. He's uh, trying to find a clue. He walks into a library, and there's an older, very stern uh, librarian uh, gentleman who is stamping books and telling everyone to shush. And of course, it produces one of the funnier moments in the movie as Indiana Jones is breaking through the floor as this man is stamping the uh, books. And of course, he, the, the stamping of the books is perfectly timed with the breaking of the floor so that the older man thinks that he is uh, going uh, mad. Um, Stephen mentions this librarian. I was very happy to hear. This is an example of a stereotype of an older, stern, conservative librarian. But there are other stereotypes of librarians. Stephen goes through them all. And it's a fascinating talk, even if you're not a librarian. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just a reminder, you can listen to all these episodes at SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Look for the name Coach St. Luke Podcast. All right, that's the intro. Here is Stephen Tomlinson. Hi, everyone. This is Stephen Tomlinson of the Coach St. Luke Public Library. And today I will be discussing the first in a two-part series on the many ways in which both libraries and librarians have been depicted throughout the history of the movies. I'll explore how close such representations are to reality and consider how much they've evolved over the years. Stereotypes of librarians in popular culture are, of course, frequently negative, though rarely villainous, it must be said. And by stereotype, I mean a frequently dehumanizing assumption about what someone is like, or taking a perceived trait and making it stand in for the whole of who that person might be. Now, what are these stereotypes of librarians throughout the history of movies, especially Hollywood movies? An intelligent, if repressed, older woman who wears glasses is probably the most obvious one. But there are other traits frequently associated with the profession, many of them negative, unfortunately, such as someone who is either timid or mean, perhaps, or maybe someone who loves silence, likes books, certainly, and dislikes people, possibly. <laughs> Not that those are all bad things. While other character traits that are frequently invoked are puritanical, punitive, unattractive, introverted, frustrated, and effeminate, if male. Now, the label librarian and for the purposes of this presentation, I will disregard the professional qualification, for to most onlookers, anyone who works in a library is a librarian. The label librarian, it evokes a strong mental picture in our culture, and as such provides a handy shortcut for filmmakers who want to get to the point with the minimum of exposition. One of the earliest depictions of a librarian in Hollywood sound films is of Barbara Stanwyck in the 1932 romantic drama Forbidden. Just a few minutes into the movie, a couple of kids watching her arrive from work yell from across the street, Old Lady Four Eyes! Old Lady Four Eyes! 
despite the fact that Barbara Stanwyck is clearly not old. In fact, at the time of the making of the film, she was only 24, maybe 25 years old. Old Lady Four Eyes. Or its more popular variation, Spinster Librarian, is a stereotype, one of many I'll be discussing. But we might also refer to them as character types or stock characters, for that's really what they become after you've seen enough of these character types in the movies. Stock characters. So the stock character of the spinster librarian, though seen less frequently these days, thankfully, I mean, it's such a terrible stereotype, isn't it? Nevertheless, it is by far historically the most popularly recognizable image of a librarian in the movies, if not in all of popular culture. She's invariably presented as uptight, an old maid, quote unquote, a phrase fortunately we don't much hear of these days. And as such, at least in the logic of the movie, sexually undesirable. The image of the spinster librarian is that she's also a rule-bound figure who hoards information. This is the stereotype, right? In addition to glasses on a chain, perhaps, she may wear dark conservative clothing, a high collar, and a severe bun hairstyle. To emphasize, of course, her double sense of repression, both inwards and outwards. Cardigans and long skirts may also feature visually, as do sensible shoes, always handy for running or climbing to get books, of course. And it's this image, this sometimes hurtful stereotype, that lies behind the comment that all librarians, whether female or male, have heard at least once in their professional lives, that, you know, you don't look like a librarian. It's still a frequently invoked expression, but of course, no flesh-and-blood librarian really fits with the stock character type, whatever it may be, in all its variations. To my knowledge, there has never been a movie centered around a spinster librarian. And please, always imagine air quotes around that phrase. And that's because movies like to present the stories of very positive, or at least redemptive and charismatic characters. So the spinster librarian, air quotes, as a stock character, is always in a supporting or minor role, and often used as a contrast with more vivacious and invariably younger people. Now, probably the most notorious use of the spinster librarian stock character can be found in the 1946 Frank Capra Hollywood classic, It's a Wonderful Life. You may recall that in the movie, James Stewart plays George Bailey, who falls on hard times and is granted the wish to experience life as if he'd never been born. And in that alternate reality, which really is a nightmare, his lovely and vivacious wife, Mary, played by Donna Reed, is seen instead to become a timid old maid, quote-unquote, librarian, with most of the physical characteristics mentioned earlier of the spinster. In fact, this is such a negative portrayal that the short scene in which George sees Mary as a librarian, serves as the catalyst, as he runs away in horror, for him wanting to return to his old life as soon as possible. 
In the first half of It's a Wonderful Life, Mary looks lovely. She has, for the time, a modern hairstyle, flattering clothing, and she appears fresh and clean, and perhaps most of all, open to the world, very confident. But in the logic of the movie, without George, she loses her sense of style and self-confidence. Glasses, not that there's anything wrong with glasses. Sensible clothing, not that there's anything wrong with that. Hat, hair pulled back, gloves, no makeup. She is so covered up, almost hiding in herself. This image is the stereotypical prototype for all movie spinster librarians. But what's worse than that is the change in Mary's personality. In the first half of the movie, she is warm and funny and sweet. But in the second half, she has become shy, furtive, non-trusting, and scared of men. Terrified, in fact. A typical spinster librarian, right? Mary clutches her purse and finally screams and faints when George declares her to be his wife. The scene is only about 30 seconds long, but that image continues to haunt librarians. What's the message? That without a man in her life, the ultimate nightmare for a woman is to become, quote-unquote, an old maid. An old maid librarian. But fortunately, this stock character type is not something we see much anymore, at least outside of obvious satire. While It's a Wonderful Life in 1946 undoubtedly pitied the spinster librarian figure, the very popular comedy Ghostbusters from 1984 merely satirized it. So I guess that's progress of a kind, right? In Ghostbusters, three unemployed parapsychology professors set up shop as a unique ghost removal service. And their latest case involves a ghost that is haunting the New York Public Library. A ghost whom the audience is clearly meant to identify as a librarian, from her wrapped up in a bun hairstyle, to her conservative high-collared dark dress, to the book in her hands. Undoubtedly, she's a former librarian spirit who's not too happy at being disturbed. And what is the first word that she utters when spoken to by one of the Ghostbusters? Another stock character popular in the history of the movies is that of the antisocial male librarian. Okay, this one's very close to my heart. (laughs) Also known as the old fogey. This is the male equivalent of the spinster librarian. Rigid, stuffy, and unfunny, but often used to funny effect, as in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade from 1989. The antisocial male librarian has a physical appearance that is extremely conservative, much like his female counterpart, especially in his aestheticism, with clothing comprised of dark colors, a suit, a tie, most especially a bow tie, button-up shirt, etc., Like his female counterpart, he is distinctly uptight, either timid and meek or very unfriendly and stern. And like her, always middle-aged or old. He also exhibits poor social skills and seems to dislike people, and invariably is quite elitist. And like the character in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, 
he rates the library and its rules above the public. As such, he's another figure who's quick to shush people. In the 1944 Eric Ambler adaptation and early film noir classic, The Mask of Demetrius, Peter Lorre stars as a mystery writer obsessed with the story of a real-life criminal. His research brings him into contact with another good example of this anti-social male librarian in the figure of a man who seems really quite anal retentive while proudly demonstrating his own particular system for cataloging information, the latter of which is not something that librarianship usually looks fondly upon, I might add. Now, easily frustrated, agitated, and with poor social skills himself, he also displays that elitist attitude towards rules and regulations and a general dislike of the public, all of which are, of course, hallmarks of this particular stock character type. If in the Indiana Jones movie, this, this character type is used for comic effect, in 1982's classic drama, Sophie's Choice, we have what is probably the meanest librarian of all time. Do you remember the scene? Do you remember the character? His hair, glasses, and bow tie, again, complete his image of being more than just fussy and excessively orderly. And instead of a place of knowledge and free access to information, we are presented in Sophie's Choice with a library that is an elite fortress of a kind, one blocked off with barriers, however metaphorical, by the severest, most judgmental of movie librarians, literally sitting behind a high desk meant to make the Oscar-winning Meryl Streep character look small and insignificant by way of comparison. The character of Sophie visits the library to find a book by her favorite American poet, Emily Dickinson. But in her heavy accent, the request comes out, Emile Dickens. The librarian, played by John Rothman, directs her to the card catalog, but tells her sneeringly that she will find no such entry. Everyone knows, he says pompously, that Charles Dickens was an English writer. There is no American poet by the name of Dickens. Sophie's reaction to his scathing comments is that she faints and falls to the floor of the building. But like Donna Reed's frightened spinster in It's a Wonderful Life, John Rothman's portrayal of the haughty librarian in this film is, I fear, doomed to last forever. Like Sophie's Choice, the 1986 adaptation of Umberto Eco's novel, The Name of the Rose, presents the librarian as a literal gatekeeper of information amidst an obscure organizational system where a little knowledge can be wielded like a weapon. In fact, the 14th century library is the labyrinth-like site of secret knowledge, where monks I mean, antisocial by definition, right? Actively isolate material from prying eyes. I mean, that is everyone but themselves. They hoard knowledge and block physical access to any books deemed unsuitable, including Aristotle's poetics, because it includes ideas about the subversive power of laughter. I mean, there are more antisocial male librarians in this film than you can count. 
Interestingly, 1962's romantic comedy drama Breakfast at Tiffany's well demonstrates, I think, the principal characters' differences by doing something that they've never done before and going to the library, the New York Public Library, where Audrey Hepburn encourages George Pappard's wild side, and he, while not exactly antisocial or an old fogey, but nevertheless encourages her sober side, which the library in its sobriety is meant to represent. A third character type, in addition to the spinster librarian and the old fogey or antisocial male librarian, is the, and again, imagine those air quotes, liberated librarian. Now, the liberated librarian is really a rather more positive extension of the spinster librarian character type. If only the spinster, imagine it, had met the right love interest as a younger woman. And the liberated librarian is invariably younger in comparison, much younger than her spinster counterpart. The type portrayed here is usually a naive young woman who discovers herself and her sexuality and fulfills what she's capable of generally, but only with the help of a man or in the face of an adventure or disaster that forces her to come out of her shell. The liberated librarian, and I am here as elsewhere borrowing heavily from the work of Jennifer Sneck Brown, an academic librarian in the U.S., and from her website, Real Librarians, where many of these terms are codified. The liberated librarian usually becomes more assertive and undergoes a change of appearance, becoming more attractive and distinctly more feminine as her liberation progresses. In fact, the physical makeover for such a character type is practically a requirement. In the lighthearted comedy thriller Foul Play from 1978, Goldie Hawn plays just such a librarian hiding from life after a painful divorce who falls in love with a cop with whom she solves a crime. Now, one of the key components of her liberation is ditching the enormous black frame glasses that she has worn earlier in the film. In the 1945 drama Adventure, public librarian Greer Garson proclaims that she worked in a morgue, quote-unquote, until bad boy Clark Gable came along to liberate her from the library. And in the 1932 romantic comedy, No Man of Her Own, my God, that title, Clark Gable's virile manliness almost literally knocks librarian Carol Lombard off her library ladder. Later on, Lombard elopes with Gable to escape the dull town that she works in, and to make her liberation and makeover complete, she later drapes herself in low-necked gowns, satin, and sequins. But such is, I guess, the sexual charisma and dynamic force of Clark Gable. Oh, the liberating power. Unlike the two previous character types of the spinster librarian and the antisocial male librarian, it makes sense, I guess, for Hollywood to feature liberated librarians in leading roles, as character growth and development are generally necessary for successful movies. But unfortunately, to my mind, liberated librarians tend to be almost exclusively female. I mean, come on, Hollywood, you're letting down the side here. As with Carol Lombard in No Man of Her Own, a key aspect of the liberated librarian character type is that she is not committed to libraries. 
or being a librarian as a profession. In fact, leaving her profession after her liberation is almost a given. As in, most acutely, the musical The Music Man from 1962. Now recall in The Music Man that there is a con man played by Robert Preston who tries to scam a community into buying band uniforms and ends up falling for the town librarian, Marion the Librarian. She even has her own song entitled exactly that, as played by Shirley Jones. And in a profession characterized mostly in the history of the movies by spinsterhood and prudishness, he ends up humanizing her. But to be fully liberated, at least within the logic of the film and the character type, she must leave the profession to accomplish it. Most interestingly, to my eye, is that the films in this category, the very few examples of liberated male librarians, all seem to suggest that any man who works as a librarian must have something wrong with him. Most of relatively young, age being a seeming barrier to any liberation, whether male or female, as with Richard Benjamin in the 1969 romantic comedy drama Goodbye Columbus, whose character arc here is meant to show that he has time to redeem himself and find a better job. The very few male liberated librarians, like Richard Benjamin, and it's even questionable as to whether he really belongs to this deracinated category, as I am unaware of any others that might fit. Nevertheless, Richard Benjamin in Goodbye Columbus may begin as an underachiever, but grows in character throughout the film, just like his more obvious female counterparts. Their latent skill and talents finding a way to rise to the forefront, but only through the instigation of another person of the opposite sex, just like with Goldie Hawn in Foul Play. That outside force acting upon Richard Benjamin to make him a better man is a privileged young woman played by Allie McGraw, with whom he has a summer romance. Now, it should be said, as I hinted at earlier, that the Richard Benjamin character is here not a career librarian and admits early on that he doesn't really know what he wants to do in life. So he really only adheres just a little to this very rare liberated male librarian stock character type in that he still has time a lot of time to redeem himself, unlike some of the less attractive male library colleagues we see elsewhere in the film. In the whimsically eccentric comedy drama They Might Be Giants from 1972, Jack Guilford, a character actor if there ever was one, plays Wilbur Peabody, and there's a stereotypical name for a male librarian, if I've ever seen one who is a secondary character in the film that fantasizes about leaving his profession to become the Scarlet Pimpernel, and thus more masculine and assertive by doing so. But he's not really a liberated male librarian figure, or only insofar as his fantasy life allows him to escape the humdrum reality of his everyday job. It might have been interesting to have a character, a very well-established character actor like Jack Guilford, in a more seriously representative role as a librarian, as he spent his career in character parts, exemplifying mildness, civility, 
kindness, and intelligence, all qualities that I typically associate with librarians. Though he perhaps never had the charisma or heroic leading man characteristics to carry that off entirely in commercial Hollywood cinema. Another of Janet Snack Brown's codified terms for movie librarian types is that of the male librarian as social outcast, which is undoubtedly one of the cruelest stereotypes of librarians as evidenced by the movies. This character type is usually middle-aged to old and a typically harried, unworldly, and socially inept figure. I'm thinking here of Jonathan Price in Terry Gilliam's 1986 dystopian satire Brazil, but also of James Whitmore in the 1994 prison drama, The Shawshank Redemption. But sometimes in the movies, the stereotypical marginal social existence that supposedly comes with being a librarian, especially a male librarian, is used as a pretense or social construct, as in the 1965 dramatic adaptation of John le Carré's The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, the cold of the title literally being a library job for Richard Burton's Fallen From Grace Spy. But actually, Burton hasn't really fallen from grace. He's still an active spy, attempting to fool East German spies into thinking that he's a failed spy, and thus working in a library. The film also boasts, in a smaller role, the excellent Claire Bloom as a spirited young and idealistic fellow librarian, who's very much against character types discussed earlier. In fact, though apparently a committed librarian, Claire Bloom plays a variation on yet another of Janet Snick Brown's codified movie librarian character types, that of the spirited young woman, and again, imagine those air quotes, who is fashionable and attractive, but unlike the Claire Bloom character, though she works in a library, it is generally, for this character type, only a temporary situation, often as a student. The spirited young woman is usually just passing through, and usually meets the leading man while working in a library. But otherwise, their links to libraries rarely have any impact on the story. The spirited young woman is, of course, intelligent, often spunky, and unafraid to express her personality, in contrast to older, more conservative women around her, or as, for example, with the spinster librarian character type. In the Hollywood musical Good News from 1947, June Allison plays a college library assistant and student who falls for the football hero, played by Peter Lawford. He notices her when he goes to the library to look up a French word, and she helps him to succeed in college. Of course she does. In a telling scene, June Allison, upon dressing up in a sexy way, for 1947 at least, asks a girlfriend for her reaction. And the friend responds, guess what? You sure don't look like a librarian. Another spirited young woman, this time from 1970, is Allie McGraw in the tragic romantic drama Love Story in which she plays the lovely and lively library assistant with whom Ryan O'Neill falls in love. Though she still features the stock character prop of the large, dark-framed glasses, which, if memory serves, 
she only wears while in the library. Now, at first glance, the liberated librarian and the spirited young woman may appear to be the same category. But the difference is that liberated librarians undergo a character change, personality-wise and in terms of physical attractiveness, often comprising the film's main plot. While the spirited young woman doesn't really change at all throughout the film, she doesn't have to, at least in terms of conventional Hollywood logic. She's already perfect, or at least nearly so. And as such, the spirited young woman is perhaps the single most attractive character type in movie librarian history. Though far from perfect in her spirited young womanness, certainly for me, one of the most memorable examples of this particular librarian character type is played by Parker Posey in the comedy drama Party Girl, made in 1995, who calls her godmother a librarian for bail money after being arrested for throwing an illegal party, with curious shades of our own pandemic era for that reason. To repay the loan, she begins working as a library clerk. At first, she hates the job, but when challenged, decides to master the Dewey Decimal System, and ultimately learns to love the library, and even shock of shocks, become fulfilled in her personal life while working within it. This is a quirky, lovable movie, but to my eye, it offers a fairly realistic and definitely positive image of librarians. Okay, that's it, folks. I'm going to draw a conclusion here to part one of my two-part series on the representation of libraries and librarians in the movies. Join me next time when I will provide some historical context for these character types under discussion, provide further elaboration on them, talk about more contemporary examples, and get into how libraries, libraries themselves and the very concept of the library is often presented altogether more favorably in the movies than with the typical stock librarian characters that we have encountered so far. You've been listening to Code St. Luke librarian Stephen Tomlinson. I'll be away for two weeks, but I, I do believe there will be repeat programming in that time. So please join me then for more movie talk and in about three weeks' time for a conclusion to this series on the representation of libraries and librarians in the movies. And remember, if you have any comments or questions, you can best reach me at stomlinson at codesaintluke.org or by means of the library's Facebook page, or even by calling the library at 514-485-6900 and leaving a message. All the best, happy viewing, and bye-bye for now. Well, that is today's episode of the Code St. Luke podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to our guests and thank you to you for listening here today. The show is produced by me, Daryl Levine. The telephone broadcasting service and podcast was launched as a way to get content into your home during the pandemic period. As you know, we had to stop our events at the library and at Parks and Recreation. So we hope you're enjoying the podcast as a sort of a virtual way of getting the content to you so you can hear your favorite speakers at home. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts. Every rating and review helps others to find the show. Have a great day.